0: The Pippins have done and I hope continue to do is set the stage for the conversation. It's almost like therapeutic for us because to put him out and they represent Charles in his life and, his, and you know he vibrates through them. and we see him touching other people. And so you know it's incredibly healing for us to see what his art has, is doing for, for a lot of other people that we have we have never met before and we don't know. And it's we're just kind of a conduit for these pippins as they hang on the wall of the poetry.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins. This week I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Christopher and Brigitte Norton, parents to the late artist Charles Norton, on his exhibit called The Pippins, Dilemma of Colors. Charles had an incredible life where he lived in Bali, Singapore and France, studied architecture in London, and then eventually moved to Brooklyn in 2018 as a full-time artist. Charles battled with severe depression and mental health issues leading to his death in 2019 at the age of 24. Despite his young age, Charles left his family with a prolific body of work, including paintings with a strong love for vibrant and unusual color combinations, drawings, illustrations, sketches, poetry, and two children's books. This show is designed to raise mental health awareness, to show that it's okay to not be okay, and to also support Project Healthy Minds, which is a nonprofit dedicated to educating others around mental health and providing resources to those that are suffering with mental illness. In this episode, Brigitte and Chris talk about the exhibit and the art that Charles produced, the symbolism behind the Pippins, and how the Pippins have really impacted people's lives who have stepped into the gallery and how it's helped drive this conversation around breaking the stigma of mental health. We also talk about how to engage with others who are struggling with mental illness, Chris and Brigitte's own experiences with the trauma of losing their son, how they've gone through the grieving process, and ultimately how the exhibit itself has really helped them in their healing journey and is now a physical space that is dedicated towards celebrating Charles's life and his work and hopefully inspiring other people to open up that dialogue around mental health and normalizing the conversations on being okay with not being okay. I had the opportunity to stop by the exhibit about a month ago and when I walked in I was just incredibly impressed by all the work that Charles has produced and moved by the poetry alongside the artwork. So it really impacted me, and that is exactly why I wanted to have both Chris and Brigitte come on to the show today to really talk about this experience and use their platform to spread important messages around mental health. And also how no matter the fortunes that someone may be granted to them you never know how people are feeling about themselves on the inside and maybe how they might be silently suffering so mental health doesn't have to look like one thing or another it can take various shapes and forms and i think that their story is just incredibly impactful and really helps further this conversation on the reality around depression. how you may seem to have everything you want in your life given to you. And at the end of the day, You never know what's happening behind closed doors and how someone may be feeling on the inside. So all of these topics are very much related to what I'm trying to promote here on the podcast around redefining mental health and happiness and well-being. I would encourage all of you today after listening to this episode to go and visit the gallery at the Highline 9 in Chelsea. The exhibit is open until the end of February. That's the end of this month. So definitely be sure to check it out. I am so excited to get into this interview. Before we do so, I have a brief message from my sponsor, Inker. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must
0: not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey?
1: <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer, they've changed, so
0: you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
1: Hi, Chris. Hi, Brigitte. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. It is wonderful having you both as guests.
0: Thank you, Stella. Thank you, Stella.
2: We are happy to be talking with you today.
1: When I came into the exhibit about a month ago, I was incredibly blown away by Charles's work and the entire exhibit around the Pippins. It was really beautiful to be there. And I was very inspired and just drawn to everything that you're presenting with this work and you know opening up this space and this platform to talk about mental health and destigmatizing the conversation. So I would really love to start off by giving you both the opportunity to share a little bit about your son, Charles and his artwork and you know, the inspiration and symbolism behind the Pippins and the dilemma of colors.
0: He was a spectacular young man uh, with an enormous amount of talent. I like to describe him as a philosopher, a painter and a poet who had uh, a lot of, I think, sensitivity and sensibility. And um was you know drawn to uh, expressing himself through art at a very young age Uh, towards his latter part of his life which uh, was you know he left us when he was uh, 24 um, he started developing depression and during that time period he uh, next to his other work he developed a character called the pippins and the pippins as as you saw Stella in the exhibit are um, a collection of characters that uh, he decided to to draw in colored pencil there are over 50 pippins he created uh, and there are over 20 pippins he created uh, that have poetry attached to each one of the pippins they're very colorful which you know could be surprising given somebody uh, who's suffering from depression and they're, they're sarcastically funny without ever being mean and the pippins represent the duality in life that all of us face to some extent and you know every one of the pippins who comes in forms of you know every every human walk of life you could imagine but every pippin you see has thumbs up in the front which signals the good part of life and future and you know and and that everything is okay and in back of the pippin there's always the middle finger um that Pippin gives to the world, and that's the the darker side, the more disturbed side, Um, and and each Pippin lives with both of those things. And so, you know, the illustrations, if you see them, you kind of, you know, almost look like, you know, mid-19th century illustrative art. Uh, They're very, very technical and they're, they're beautifully done. And what we found, you know, as we celebrated him and as we exhibited the Pippins, we found that people that have you know that came just as you did that came into the gallery space you know were you know surprised and started getting into the all these dimensions within the poetry and the and the pippins and as we engaged with people and especially Brigitte who has spent almost every day in the gallery and as we told our story we found that everybody also has their story and this during a time when the pandemic has kind of accelerated so many trends in our lives and you know one of the trends that seems to be such a huge issue for everybody personally and professionally for companies and families is the the struggle society has with mental health issues and the stigma the stigma around that subject and so what we found is that pippin became this platform to open up the conversation And, and maybe that's the first step is to open up the conversation about this important issue
1: Absolutely. I agree. And I think that's why it's so incredible to see this exhibit as a celebration of Charles's work and his life, because from those experiences that he's he had, you're, you've also created so much beauty in in creating a platform that is really meant to be dedicated towards destigmatizing mental health And conversations around mental health. I think the duality around the Pippins is so fascinating, where you see them sitting upright in these colorful illustrations with their thumbs up, but then behind them, their middle finger is pointed upwards. And it shows really that, you know, on the outside, someone may appear entirely different from how they feel on the inside. And I know that, you know, art is a very personal thing, and I'm sure that. Charles also drew from his own experiences with depression and mental health issues and illustrating these exhibits. How would you describe you know his own experiences with mental health and and how that shaped the way that he actually drew these figures and put together this artwork?
2: Mm, this is a very hard question because I'm still searching. Uh, through uh, his writings. And today I found a letter that he had written to me uh, when he had a a, a breakdown in London while he was studying architecture. And it it was a thank you letter. And he was describing how he felt, how he was and how... uh, Everything was uh, so hard for him, so difficult. Life was was not okay. And through all the walks and talks that we did, uh, he was thanking me for making it okay. So he was already using the thumbs up. He, it was really, uh, I think, with the, with mental illness, you have one day or one week or two weeks of phases where you are really down and some others where you are up and you don't really know why. And as a caretaker, you don't know either. You don't know how to help, how to get started. If you know the person very well, you can really initiate good. some some things that will brighten their days, like he says. You know, And, and the show is all about uh, colors. How to find colors in your life, um, how to transform the black and white from inside into a a beautiful world or even a livable world for some.
1: Absolutely. And I think there are so many beautiful, positive messages from the poetry that I've read and, and in the exhibit. I know when you walk into the gallery on the wall, there's this quote that Charles has that says, when shit from the past comes and spooks you, tell it to politely fuck off, which is an element of humor in it, which I find to be so great because, you know, amidst some of the darker or heavier poetry or commentary around the Pippins, there's still this element of humor and happiness and joy. And I think in that quote in particular, it's so powerful because it's something that everyone can relate to. When things start to haunt you and when things start to feel dark and scary, just tell it to go away, and just to tell yourself to redirect your attention to something else, to something happier, to something that is more joyous, perhaps.
0: You, you know, you say something that was kind of typical of Charles. You know, even even when he was, I think I saw him really angry once, but uh, even through the frustrations, he always felt that being polite was an important thing. And so it's funny that you know it's kind of this oxyposition of you know telling somebody to fuck off but doing it politely uh was it was kind of him but it also you know brings up the point that uh you know and a lot of i think many people uh, suffer from it is if you would have seen charles and met him you know he was kind of checked all the boxes of what any young man could ask for a loving family and brother brother and sister and parents and he was tall and handsome and he was incredibly smart he had a good education and so and I remember during some of the conversations we had as we went through this, you know, we would sometimes say, well, but why are you depressed? You have everything. And I think there was a suicide just recently of a young woman who killed herself and she had just won, was it Miss Universe or Miss USA? I
1: Like Miss America, I want to say.
0: But you also think here's somebody who has it all. She has everything. You know, she's smart and young and beautiful and, she, and yet in, internally they suffer and they struggle. And so, you know, to Brigitte's point, you know, the caretakers, you know, we so ill-prepared to know how to react, where to even start. And so, with the Pippins, we hooked up with um, an organization to try to raise funds um, called Project Healthy Minds. And basically, you know, in a nutshell, what they're trying to do is help people find help people who look for help, find help because, you know, we got, you know, sometimes if you Google, you know, something and you try to get help, you get, you know, 800 answers. You don't even know where to start. Um, and so there's, there's that piece also, but you know, sometimes the listening and listening to people who seem to have it all and maybe have the thumbs up, you know, as a, as an outer shell, but are not okay actually inside. So it's this, you know, the, the this conversation piece, I think that, uh, that is so important and engaging in the conversation. And again, I think Pippin has set the stage for people to open up and talk about their own story. And it seems like everybody has a story. And maybe Brigitte, I mean, she has been in the gallery every day meeting with hundreds of people.
1: Absolutely. And I've heard, you know, Brigitte and I speak offline about some of the people that have walked into this gallery, you know, what they've gotten out of that experience and how it's impacted them. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about what you've seen across the people that have come inside to this gallery, how Charles's work has impacted them. And you know, I think something that's so powerful about the work that he he's done and the messages that he's getting across through his artwork is that, mental health is something that's universal to everyone. And it's also a spectrum that, you know, people can experience a variety of different mental health issues relative to their own life experiences and uh, relative to their own circumstances. And, you know, no matter where you are along that journey, I think that anyone can relate somehow to the messages that he's sharing and that's what i think is incredibly powerful is you know how relatable a lot of this messaging is but you know i'd love for you to talk a little bit more about the feedback that you've heard from the gallery and w- the experiences that people have have had when reading charles's poetry and seeing the work and and um you know being fully immersed there
2: well i think uh, when the people enter the gallery first they they look at all those pippins. They all have that in common, you know, the, the fingers, and then they're all sitting in the same uh, direction with the foot, uh, slightly uh, knocking off things, you know. There is one cross legs, and then the foot goes really uh, like they don't care. And uh, they are on a very plain background. They all look similar uh, in the... In the attitude, and they all almost all smiling really, and so it brings a smile to them, and they are surprised, and then they they right away discover the humor of those drawings, and they, and they read the poetry, that is also full of humor, sarcasm. But when when I tell them that this young man is no longer here, and then he he was suffering. Uh, suddenly they they find themselves in the poetry and they they right away almost right away they say but uh oh uh, i'm i'm very touched by the poetry and and i really i can feel i can feel his presence i can feel his humor and until they go to the wall where we have uh, written uh give us your thoughts what's okay and what's not and there is a hand of charlie with a thumbs up and the middle finger uh, two hands that he drew when he was in art school and people have been pouring and writing what is okay for them and what is not and then the conversation starts it's not okay to suffer it's not okay to not be okay but I mean it's endless Uh, and the conversation yes uh, with them some a young woman told me but you saved my life just just uh, talking about that uh, just uh, opening the debate some people are uh, feel ashamed one that told me you are the second person and I tell that I I jump out of the window and I survive but you are the second person I, I'm, I'm telling so it's it's an open dialogue really
1: yeah there's there's power in community and creating a space for people to be vulnerable and honest about their experiences and it's incredibly difficult to share something that personal like that for example and I can only imagine you know how impactful this exhibit and just the work that Charles has produced, you know is to to so many people and that's why I love that you've also partnered with Project Healthy Minds as a as a way to talk about you know how to seek help when you need it the ceo of the nonprofit talks about how we need to democratize mental health access and that not everyone needs the same thing and i think there's so much value in that as well that understanding that different people need different types of resources and so when you saw your son suffering as caretakers as parents how did you try to support him in, the, in his suffering and, and helping him to get better and helping him to feel better? And, you know, through that process, how did you also take care of yourselves? Because I can only imagine the immense burden and, and trauma that you were also going through, you know, as parents to your son, seeing him suffer such a great amount.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's an easy answer for that, Estella, uh, what did because you
2: do? what, what did you, what, you what, mean, what, we did is that we had to register him, uh, because he had a psychotic episode with his brother and his sister. We tricked him into going to a hospital in London. Uh, and, uh, we, of course I was with there with him and his sister and brother. And, uh, and they told us that they wanted him to go to a, a psychiatrist uh, hospital for evaluation. So they took him, and the next morning he started his first Pippin. We had a, a, an appointment with a psychiatrist, and he, he had he went on a hunger strike to save the world, to save, to he wanted free food. Uh, for he, everyone. For everyone, he wanted... Uh, uh, all the stigma uh, and he, uh, he was against racism. He wanted to, uh, for the world to um, reset somehow. And um, uh, and so uh, we took him there. And the next morning we had the first uh, meeting with the doctor and uh, he started eating again. And it's when he started his first Pippin uh, with a crayon on a little piece of paper there. And the next morning, we brought him the color crayon, and then he he started. And that's the only way for him. It was the only way for him to to relax and to to just. uh, But we uh, we didn't know how to start. We had a big trust in the in the medical. Field and they started to take medication and and this when you go in here, we had no idea. we had no one in the family that uh, close by that went through that, so um, i I was part of a group in London of people who had children suffering also, but it was so painful for me to go there. We thought that love with a lot of love we would uh, we would be able to and a lot of talking and a lot of being present but that was not enough we needed more and and we parents need to be more uh, educated and uh, because it's everywhere now so we felt really lonely
0: yeah, I would, I would add to that, you know, that you, you try to provide, A, all the medical support you think you can find, you know, that is psychiatry, psychology. Um, then you try to help on lifestyle, then you try to help on accommodations, you, from, you know, spending time. And, but it's, you're dealing with an adult also. You don't, remember, you're not dealing with a child. So, you know, even with the medical feedback, a lot of the doctors don't actually tell you what they discuss with him because he's an adult. And so you've got to get consent.
2: Um, yes, but it's very hard, the line between an adult who is not well, how uh, you have to make decision for this adult. You cannot just leave him in the street. You know, that's yeah. that's the problem so, uh, with mental health. It's, such, it's so delicate.
0: The difficult part, I think, is that you... You're always struggling because you really don't know exactly what you're dealing with, and I think if I think of friends or family that have had physical ailment, um, you know, as harsh as it can be, it seems to be you know you can see it and it's mechanical. So from knee and hip replacements to any other illnesses, you kind of you're faced with it. It's a diagnosis. You know what it, you know how to treat it, and then you su- you support it as best you can. With mental illness, you don't really know what you're dealing with. And you're you're not quite sure, and the doctors are not quite sure, and so it's a it's a very um, it's kind of a destabilizing and hunting for something and trying to find what it is without ever being able to put your finger on it. Also,
2: we are everyone is in denial when it happens. I mean, Charlie was in denial. We were in, in, in denial. We couldn't believe it that he was so sur- the the top of everything, and then slowly. Uh, we could see couldn't do th- certain things. So it's it's very hard.
1: Right. And, you know, I think it goes back to that point that you had made earlier, Chris, on how, you know, you your son, you know, had everything in his life. He had a family that cared for him and he was handsome and he did well in school and he was passionate about all these things. And, you know, maybe on the outside, he appeared to have everything he could have ever imagined. And yet that doesn't even come close to how he was feeling on the inside. And I think it goes to show how important it is to treat others with compassion and kindness because you never know the mental state that they're in and how they feel on the inside. And how you feel on the inside is what colors your perception of the world. So at the end of the day, it doesn't even matter the fortunes that are granted to you. If the way that you perceive the world is something so dark and depressing and heavy to go through, you're not going to have that sense of happiness. And and it's just going to make it that much harder to even wake up in the morning and have the motivation to do anything. And so uh you know I think it, it ties back to that that point that you made Chris around the complexities around mental health and you know this the nature of happiness <laughs> because it it seems like in theory someone who has everything could be or should be happy, but that's not necessarily the case all the time
0: I think you know you see it also and I know companies struggle with it and the and the pandemic has accelerated and I think you know the, our digital world is accelerating it because you know people you know maybe even more than in the past they hide behind uh, in Im- imagery faces made you know Facebook Instagram whatever you whatever it is but there is this disconnection from from people and what you know what you see and what they portray and how they want to feel and how they look is is kind of a disconnect, and you know that's where Pippin comes in a bit with this, you know, everything's okay and everything and it's not. But, you know, the question is how can you help move things forward, and well, you know, we're we're not doctors and we're not we're not psychiatrists, psychologists by a, a long stretch. We just we have our story, but what is so different is that Charles, as an artist, left behind these Pippins, and while the pippins aren't the answer for all of it what the pippins have done and i hope continue to do is set the stage for the conversation and in, it it is almost like therapeutic for us because to put him out and they represent charles in his life and his and you know he vibrates through them and we see him touching other people and so you know it's incredibly healing for us to see what his art has is doing for, for a lot of other people that we have, we have never met before and we don't know. And it's we're just kind of a conduit for these Pippins as they hang on the wall and the poetry. And, and hopefully the Pippins will travel and we have people who expressed interest on in taking the show to Tel Aviv and to L.A. We're dealing with a, a major corporation in New York right now and hope we can tell you more about it soon who wants to use the Pippins in a very large way to talk about... Uh, depression and mental illness and suicide uh, in a a large format and so we just hope that pippins you know can you know play a larger role even on setting the platform for conversation and so you know as more as we talk about it and as more we open up it, it is really incredible to see how other people around the pippins have opened up and i don't think they would have done that necessarily with i mean we would have never met them without the pippins and so you know Charles has left a a bit of a legacy and it has made our healing process, you know, while never complete, certainly easier, I think, uh, because we can talk about Charles in a context that is meaningful for others. And
2: Uh, and it's something we can do for him because he left all those pippins. He wanted, he, he had made cards and stickers. He was giving them away in Brooklyn, all over Manhattan. And he wanted people to know what was the thumbs up and middle finger. So, uh, and we had them here with us. He, he had, they were not in Brooklyn. So they were not with him. He wanted them to be safe. And, and I know he wanted us to do something with this.
0: So, you know, it's funny enough Stella, Brigitte and I never knew and I'm sure Charlie never knew that there was a very, there was a Broadway show in the early seventies. I don't know if you ever heard it called the Pippins.
1: No, I haven't.
0: So you should go back and you should go and listen to it. The 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 lyrics and the music are unbelievable, and the story about this young prince is a bit of Charlemagne.
2: Charlie, it's,
0: it's a yeah. bit of Charlie's story, and so it's interesting that you know I don't know if it's you know some connection of the out there that you know keeps telling the story and kind of it's it kind of gives it re, rebirths it, and Charles is taking kind of the mem subject forward what, 50, a half a century later. And uh, there's a man, uh, an Israeli art critic, who's also the artistic director for the Shanghai Modern Museum, who wrote a 16-page essay on the Pippins. And he had never met Charles. Ch- uh, Shai Battel. Shai Battel, And he did an unbelievable job uh, in writing and, and kind of, you know, putting it all into context in a way that we could have never articulated. And he came to interview Brigitte and me, you know, painfully for four hours and put us through the ringer to understand this young man and his art. And actually, if you go, Brigitte has created a website for the for the exhibit called CWN Pippins, CWN Pippins on Instagram. And so if you go to that Instagram website, you can see a lot of the Pippins. And if you go behind the squares of the Pippins, you can see a lot of the poetry. And there's a lot of music, and the wall that Brigitte described, where all these people came and started writing their own feelings as kind of an interactive art piece, has developed in this huge it's almost a separate piece of art that has so much energy in it and tells such amazing stories, and again both what's okay and what's not okay and it's it's almost kind of a all ages
2: uh, all it's ages a, it's a yeah. mirror
0: of our society today, and yeah, I mean ages. Young, old, uh,
2: languages, uh, French, Spanish, uh, uh, Korean, uh, Japanese, everything. And
0: actually, Brigitte did a little piece on on the CWN Pippin's Instagram, where you had a little little clip, a video clip.
2: Yeah, they're all there. um, Yes.
0: And you can see the wall, and it's. We didn't actually know what to do with the wall because when we leave the gallery, it's gonna we're gonna. We'll do
2: a wallpaper.
0: Yeah,
1: something. I think that's a great idea. I mean, I remember when I went into the gallery, that wall, like the energy was just so infectious and it's beautiful to see something, you know, in real life, like this tangible piece of artwork where people are able to share what is okay and what is not okay for them. Like when that comes to life and it's something you can actually visibly look at, I think it puts into perspective how many people can, can also, you know, understand that story and also share their own experiences around mental health and, you know, on a day-to-day basis, what's okay for them and what's not. And that knowing that the things that are not okay, it's also okay to, to not feel okay in that. And I, you know, opening up that conversation is so important. And another thing that I find really fascinating about the exhibit itself and the Pippins is that each piece of artwork is paired with the poetry. I think art, in and of itself, paintings, drawings, whatever it may be, is so powerful because art can be interpreted in so many different ways depending on who views it. And, you know, even the drawings themselves, like the fact that we spoke about the dilemma of color, how these Pippins are you know, appear to be so colorful and that may be synonymous with happiness, but actually on the inside, they're, they're struggling. And, you know, the, from the position of their hands and the middle finger behind them, like if you just look at the art, you can take so much away from it. But I think the poetry really helps to supplement what we see in the Pippins and the drawings, because it, I think it adds that depth and that, that layer around explaining really like, you know, the struggles that they're going through. And I think pairing something that's written with something that's more visual is even more powerful. And I think that's really what's getting people excited as well.
0: You know, Stella, to to add to that, you know, Charles had developed a friendship with uh, Robert Redford, the actor. And, you know, the age gap between them is, I don't know, 60 years, seven yeah. 50, fifty So, but he went up to Sundance uh, to attend one of the film labs and he he didn't really know who bob was until he got up there and kind of you know and bob always when he was young he was 18 he was actually in france and wanted to be a painter so they had kind of this common ground but when he when bob came to the gallery he looked around and he spent almost two hours looking at all the different drawings and he had and there is one of him that Charles did for his uh, birthday,
2: his 80th birthday.
0: But he started reading the poetry. And he said, "Oh my God, you know that I never realized that dimension to it." And you know, you know, and he read actually. He, there's a recording where he did. A, he read a few of the poems, including one that is about a bust, a, a, a sculpture called Freddie. And in the gallery, you'll see there's some of the the uh, sculptures that Brigitte sculpted. And that Charles painted over on Anne to give him another dimension of color. And Brigitte can tell more about that. To give them life,
2: uh, actually. That's what he wrote
0: and, in and, one of
2: the poems and of so, our
0: collaboration. And then Whoopi Goldberg read a few poems, and then Goldie Hahn read one, and then friends of ours in Canada who are uh, Canadian stage actors read one about a 45 uh, wedding year anniversary. wedding anniversary. And they're all hilarious. But you know, it's you, when you when people come to the uh, gallery, they there's so many dimensions to the visit, and just on the visual side, if you if you look at all the costumes the Pippins wear, if Charles would have been a costume designer, they would be spectacular. And if Charles mm-hmm. was an industrial designer, he did you know every Pippin sits on a different type of a chair, and. Uh, they just, there's so many layers. I still discover stuff on, I just discovered something on a, on a Pippin last week, which I never saw. And, you know, we just go back and the, the layers uh, in the poetry and in the paint and the drawings are so spectacular. It's, and it's so rich. And he, and he created all of that within the last five years, four or five years.
1: It's spectacular, truly. I mean, I have the book right next to me and I'm looking at the, the Johnny Walker, like the red figure. And I remember when I went to the gallery, Brigitte, you had kind of pointed my friend and I towards the poetry here, and there's, it's it's so powerful because you look at this image and it's this guy who's in this red suit and he seems so confident and he seems like he has everything together and he's you know standing upright, and then you read some of the the poetry associated with this and you know like the fifth paragraph starts with. I cannot read it. It's so painful. Go yeah. ahead, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> how am I supposed to get out of debt? All I do is vent and repent the old by attempting to be bold. I can't afford rent. I can't pitch my tent outside. I'm drenched in lament. Pride went out the door to find someone who needs it more. And then it goes, it's it's so impactful. It's, it's so beautiful. And I think uh, when you have someone actually read it, you can hear like the melody and the rhythm. And it's, it's really it's it's beautiful because i feel like you know maybe you hear this in charles's voice you hear it his spirit coming through with this and that's so powerful and it's so authentic and real and th- this is w- what i think is what gets people so invested in the in the work that he's created and just understanding how no matter, you know, your life circumstances, if you don't feel good on the inside, you're not going to to move through the world in in a positive and joyous way. And and to feel happy is to feel a happiness within yourself, first and foremost. And I think it's just I, I'm blown away every time I look at the 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 drawings and I speak with the both of you just really by the work that's being done here to to move this conversation forward. I know you mentioned that just having this exhibit has really helped with your healing process as parents. And I wanted to also ask, you know, how have you managed to stay strong and to also look back on your son's life and find so much beauty and joy and celebration from that and continue to move forward because I know when he passed it was also, you know, a huge moment in in your career chris with the opening of the equinox hotel and so i can only imagine how difficult it is to reconcile such a tragedy with also such an incredible accomplishment
0: well I'm, I'm not sure if it's in thank you for saying that and i'm not sure if it always feels like an accomplishment or you know sometimes it feels like a failure and sometimes it feel you you know everybody goes through it in a very different way um and then sometimes in life and all of us were suddenly faced with something or, you know, he was faced with something, you know, if, if anybody had it difficult, he did. And, but, you know, losing a child is something that, you know, you don't wish on anybody because it just doesn't make any sense. You can, you can lose a parent or a grandparent. You can at least chronologically kind of reason with it, even though it's painful. The child never makes sense. And, uh, but then you're dealt then you then you're put in front of that and then you've gotta deal with it. And you know, I think I think it could pull a lot of families apart or it can make families stronger. And you know, we lean on each other and we support each other and we listen and you then you grieve in very different ways. And you know, you learn how to respect that the other person has very different feelings or stages of grieving at different times than yours, you know. There's not right or wrong there, this is just, you know, going through it and kind of being open and, you know, and then the brothers and sisters also, you know, losing a child is difficult and I, I don't even want to imagine how it is to lose a brother. I think the healing part of the drawings has been, as I said, therapeutic because the beauty of what he expressed and the the vibrant art he left behind and beyond just being beautiful also is so meaningful. And for us, the sense that we can take what he created uh, in a way that might be helpful to others, if, if it opens a conversation, if it gets people to talk about it, if it helps caretakers to become better caretakers or society to move forward, then that's an, a great gift he gave all of us. And so we kind of, I think we're kind of stewards of that. And we feel that having the Pippins and having the poetry is something we would like to keep sharing.
2: I, I, just, I, I wanted to say that when you were talking about Johnny Walker, The Standing Red Man, when Charlie sent me the poetry, uh, he wrote the poetry after he did the drawings, it didn't resonate to me that he was speaking. It's only after he's, he passed. And so it's a terrible illness. I mean, to have mental illness because you are hiding it in many ways and people don't see it. I see it now. So we have, I think, we are learning the lesson of uh, staying uh, open and uh, listening to other people. I think that's the the most important. And and talking about mental health... uh, help us recognize some signs or some things that uh, I knew he was not well. But uh, this, this text, for example, is really powerful and the mirror image of what he felt.
0: You know, it's the only walking, it's the only standing Pippin of all of them.
1: Which feels kind of ironic as well, because in, when you think about the poetry, it's if he, you know, it's the only standing one. Yet the poetry itself is so sad, and he the the character is so sad.
0: But you know, he was a great. He was an incredible. He was very athletic, and he walked all the time, and it was a, it was therapeutic for him. His I brother think. wrote a poem
2: about his, him. Yeah his, yeah, his
0: older brother did. But you know, Charlie could walk all night long, all day. He just walked, and when we were in our home in he France, he could run
2: also he
0: would run very fast there's a mountain that it, it, it takes us about five hours to go back and forth it would take him an hour and a half running up a, a, a kilometer high incredible mountain, like a gazelle so he, he was johnny walker you know and again like brigitte said you know some you don't you don't hear it or your radar isn't sharp enough to pick up on the stuff and and maybe the next one is and if Again, if people yeah. can help people to just sharpen that radar, or say maybe and help listen. us, uh,
2: help all the others to understand when someone or to recognize when someone needs help or need to be listened to.
0: Um, or been. Yeah, um, and they might not know they need help. So the, the reading between the yeah. lines. How do you pick up on some of those signals um, versus?
2: And I think uh, that's the biggest uh, uh, message that Charlie wanted to. Uh, send through the people.
1: It's, it's such a great point. You know, oftentimes if you feel like you're kind of falling into a dark hole or, or into a, an intense depression, you know, I've found that when I've started to feel really down on myself, like I would, I tend to self-isolate. And that's that's bad because you need people there to support you. And sometimes people aren't very um, you know, aware that people are kind of going down that rabbit hole or starting to feel really down on themselves or starting to fall into some sort of depression. And I think uh, you know, it's so important to to find kind of, you know, exercise the mind in a way to be able to identify when people actually need help before they may even they may know it or they may not know it. And I think, you know, to your earlier point as well, Brigitte. In, with mental illness, there can be a lot of shame and and guilt, and you know this desire to to kind of shut it out and to to be in denial about it. And I think if that mindset is continuously adopted, it makes it even harder to uh, to intervene for for others and to intervene for yourself. Because at the end of the day, no matter how many people are there to support you and to love you and to try to get you out of that you can only help yourself at the end of the day and you're the only one that can, can make that decision. And it's heartbreaking that that's the reality because sometimes there's the case where, you know, you, you, you don't, you you just can't do that in that moment to help yourself, you know, like, like with the story. And, um, you know, I, I think that's why it's just so important to To educate people around, like how can we identify when someone needs help, and what can we do uh, as parents, as friends, as family members, um, as acquaintances? You know, how can we play an active role in helping that person get better? And I think you know, th- it's it's really interesting to see how art can be a vehicle to sharing this story. You know, how how just art and poetry uh, can be a way to to express that and that's really exciting to me yes and, uh, and when uh, someone once told me uh, can you
2: do you realize all the energy charlie put to leave you all that he must have he worked cra- like a crazy artist to leave so much uh, because he knew he was not well and he was uh, and and so he wanted to leave this legacy and and we don't want we want to use it for for people like you said to open the dialogue and everybody uh can speak about it freely and
0: uh, when when they give you when they give you the thumbs up it doesn't mean that it's all thumbs up behind their back that might be a middle finger somewhere
1: I mean it's just, it's like when you ask people Oh, how are you doing? People say, "Oh, I'm good." Like it's never. <laughs> the answer is never, "Yeah, I'm good." That's just what we've been conditioned to respond to and, you know, maybe how can we have more meaningful conversations where we really do check in with people and ask, "How are you doing?" Like is anything going on in your life right now that's that's troubling or, you know, really listening, like actively listening to someone, because it's so funny to me how we are just so conditioned and we just automatically respond with, yeah, I'm good. Things are fine. When really, you know, like you said, the thumbs up isn't necessarily that thumbs up.
2: Well, that's why the thumbs up is in the front and the middle finger is hiding in the the back of all the pippins, is that the front you show yourself, it's just an appearance And uh, and the back uh, is where the real things happen, and then we have to look at everybody's back and see how they are really.
0: But I think it's also the stigma around mental illness. Like if you say, "My mother just had a hip replacement," you know, she's back, or if she has two hip replacements, you carry as a badge of honor. Like, wow, how amazing is that? But if your mother suffers from depression, you know, people see that as a weakness. And so, in not only our society... Well, they don't know
2: how to handle... Uh, a, a lot of people didn't know how to talk to Charlie. They didn't know if this week he would be okay or another week. You know, they were afraid. its uh, They don't know. So, we have to...
0: It goes back to educate. the importance... The number one step is conversation. And opening yeah, it up. Awareness. And it's okay. As you said, it's okay not to be okay. So, I, I think... That's where the pippins come in. It's opening up the conversation through the visual and through the poetry and hopefully. And we through
2: can... time, don't think that you can fix it, just fix it. That's one of the one of the young person wrote on the wall, it's not okay to to listen to someone that tells you you just fix it. It doesn't work. It's the wrong thing to say. So I think it's important to uh, to listen to what the people have to say about their what's not okay.
1: And I think sometimes that's really what you know all they need in that moment sometimes is just to be able to talk about it and for someone to listen. You know, sometimes people are so afraid to have these conversations with someone who's suffering from mental illness and who you know who may be really depressed because they don't know what to say. Like they don't know how to be there for that person. And so maybe they feel like, oh, I can't engage with that person. I mean, one of my close friends in college, I I was really good friends with all throughout college and I saw her suffer from depression and many mental health struggles. And sometimes it would be difficult for me to sit down with her to have a conversation because I didn't know what to say. But when I did sit down with her and I would talk to her about what she was going through, I found that, you know, the value that I added to her healing process was just sitting back and not saying anything, like sitting back and listening and allowing her that space to feel whatever she was feeling. Um, because I think, you know, people may come into these conversations feeling like they need to say the right thing to fix the other person or to help them gain this clarity and, and feel like they'll be better tomorrow. But it's very much a gradual process. You don't just snap your fingers and the next day you aren't feeling depressed. It's something that is is gradual and ever changing and I think, you know, when we engage with other people who are struggling with, with mental illness, we need to approach those conversations with compassion and a willingness to listen, a lack of judgment and, you know, uh support, just knowing, "Okay, I'm here for you and it's okay that you feel this way and you won't feel this way forever. Like what are some steps you can do today to feel 10% happier or to feel like there's a little bit more brightness that's emerging from all this darkness because it's not like it's going to happen in a 180 shift. It's small changes, I think, that you need to make and, and small wins to celebrate to help you feel a bit better in yourself and to, to help guide that conversation with someone who's suffering. Uh, Shea Battelle
2: really well uh, said it uh, right in, in that text, in this philosophical essay. He said, we are all Pippins. Uh, you and me and all around we all suffered uh, sooner or later of uh, of mental uh, diséquilibre a little bit so we have to be aware of that mm-hmm. and and use that to understand others we are deep deeply suffering
0: and there's also the line when you know when so if you think of a mental illness versus a physical illness there's a point where you need medical intervention and you need psychiatrists, psychologists to help you. Like if you have a, need a root canal, you need to go and see a dentist. You can't just tell buddy it's going to be OK. Don't worry about it. And even that that transition to when you need help versus, you know, so we are, sometimes we're ill, we have a cold and then three days later we're better. And I think we've all gone through like good days, bad days. And there is a moment when this doesn't need medical attention and then there's moments when it doesn't. Just just being able to recognize some of those signals, I think, in society versus versus shaming it, and I think this whole con- and I said before this whole stigma around mental illness, where it's seen as a weakness and something you don't want to talk about, and and you know you 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 don't want to say you have a brother who suffers from mental illness. You, you okay, have a brother who has a knee injury, but you know that is a big step to take, I think, for all of us in both the in the personal context, family context company, corporate, political context, all of us need to be able to embrace that and somehow And don't better. give
2: up on anybody who has a mental illness. Uh, don't give up on people who are suffering mm. of something that is not so well uh Uh, definite, you know, that you cannot pinpoint.
1: These are all such incredible points and important things to, to remind ourselves of daily, because it's easy to forget these things. And, you know, my podcast is all around mental health and happiness. And one of my favorite quotes is from Adam Grant, which is that, he says, you know, the absence of mental illness does not mean that there's the presence of mental health. And I think when we think about mental health, we have to really recognize the whole array, like the the entire spectrum of what const- you know, what falls under our mental health and happiness. And so in the last part of my interview tonight, I wanted to, you know, end on speaking a bit more broadly around happiness and well-being. So, you know, throughout the course of your lives and, you know, with this gallery and this exhibit. How has your perception of happiness changed? And what are some things that you do to stay happy and to keep your mind healthy? We are
2: really uh, blessed because we uh, all have a a great sense of humor. Charlie had a great sense of humor. And uh, so that helped us. Thinking about him and some of his writing really helped us through but uh, I think it's it's love. I think to listen to the struggle that the other one is having, and we we didn't have uh, we don't have the uh, the grief in the same the, the same level of grief, and and uh, I felt really depressed myself. Christopher was very patient with me. But I'm still very emotional, and and uh, but I think of my children, and we have uh, of uh, the, our two other children, and uh, thank God we have been able to talk about Charlie. They loved him so much, so he's still here. He's still we feel his energy. We we talk about him, and I think that's really helped help us to to see the other side uh, and and not live in the past but live in all the legacy all the great memories and all the things we can do with charlie what he left and
0: yeah stella stella if you can help us to mean through your list through your the the, the the listeners of your podcast and you have you have been amazing but you know encourage them to come and visit the gallery and uh encourage them to uh, come and see what we talked about and uh, this is the Instagram and uh, and help us move this conversation forward.
1: I will absolutely link the Instagram to the episode notes and I know that the gallery has been extended till the end of February which is incredibly exciting so would love for my listeners to come out and see the exhibit because it's really incredible. And, you know, my final question for the both of you, which is something that I ask every guest that comes onto the podcast, is what is something that brings you a bit of endorphins every day?
0: You did. (laughs) You were, you're an amazing young woman and you're, you're smart and, uh, uh, intuitive and intelligent uh, in the way you approach uh, these various subjects, and just the fact that you have come to the gallery and then took it forward, and we met and we talked, and uh, that you bringing this to the forefront is enormous joy. And uh, that you know, for us to see that there is a new generation that takes sincere interest in this subject, and that you move this forward is uh, has been great joy to us. So congratulations to you and your parents can be very proud of you. So thank, thank
1: you so much. That is a very kind answer. Um, I really appreciate that. And again, it's been an absolute pleasure having both you and Brigitte on the podcast. I am so excited for my listeners to hear this episode and for them to check out the gallery, which will be open at the Highline 9 until the end of February. So thank you again so much, Chris and Brigitte. This was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you
0: we'll guys. see you soon.
1: Thank you for listening and remember to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things that bring you endorphins every day. See you next time.